Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 43 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. And happy Black History Month. For today's episode, I'm joined by licensed clinical social worker, Elise Chanel Coleman. Elise is a wife, mom, and serial entrepreneur. She obtained a bachelor's degree in social work and then a master's degree in social work with a specialization in clinical social work and law. She has an awesome husband, two kids, the littles, and two bonus kids, the bigs. Elise began her foray into the world of postpartum mental health after the birth of her first child in 2015, which was a mix of emotions from excitement, trepidation, and anxiety. Motherhood in Motion, her company, was created to address the self-care and mental health needs of Black moms. Elise and I discussed some of the unique mental health challenges Black moms face, the importance of having someone to advocate for you in the postpartum period, how to deal with mommy guilt, putting an end to mommy wars, and strategies for managing your mental health while raising children. Here's our conversation. So thank you so much for joining us today, Elise. Thank you for having me, Dr. Joy. So I'm very happy that you're able to join us today to talk about all things motherhood, um, which is one of my favorite topics. Um, So I wanted to kind of start the conversation by getting your ideas about what are some of the unique mental health challenges you think Black moms face? Hi, everyone. Um, Some of the unique challenges I think we face are not our concerns not being taken seriously when we first vocalize them. Um, I think we saw this recently as evidenced by Serena Williams' um, birth story, but in the mental health realm, I think oftentimes Black women either don't go to treatment, and when they do go, those complaints are often dismissed and not taken as seriously as they should be. Yeah, there was also the recent um, Facebook post, I'm sure you saw it, um, where it was actually a white mom who had gone to the hospital to talk about struggling with postpartum depression, and they actually called the police on her and had her like follow them to the police station with her child in the car and all of this stuff. Did you read about that? I did, and it broke my heart because that is exactly the type of um, scenarios and reasons why people don't seek help. I think, too, one of the really, really big issues is as Black women in my practice and in talking to other Black women, I've noticed that when we go to mental health professionals, we usually don't voice our concerns about emotional 
um, feelings. Our feelings, depression, anger, grief, and loss tends to manifest itself more physically. So for example, you'll hear Black women go into an office and say, you know, I've been having such bad fatigue. My digestive system is all upset. I have these horrible neck and back pains. And a practitioner who's not familiar with identifying postpartum disorder in Black women may refer you to your primary care doctor first without assessing for a true postpartum disorder. Okay. And I mean, we talked about postpartum a little bit, and we definitely are going to touch on that a little bit, but um, the whole episode is not going to be dedicated to that. But I do want to kind of get your ideas about like other things. So besides postpartum, um, postpartum depression, um, what are what other kinds of things should like black moms be on the lookout for in terms of their mental health? I think you should be on the lookout for um, general stress management. You know, being a mother is taxing enough, but when you're a black mother, there's so many societal, cultural, and classism things that we have to be concerned about from the minute we give birth to our children, actually during pregnancy, you know, even things like weighing in with your doctor, what is considered obese and what is considered your body type. And if you're comfortable in that, (laughs) that's a big issue, usually from the onset before your child is even born. Um, Lots of Black women are scrutinized or even demonized for their health, (laughs) when in reality, um, they're not obese and they just need a provider that really understands them and is willing to work with their comfort level. Um, Another thing is when it's, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, another thing is, too, as soon as that baby is born, we see it all over Instagram and Facebook, bottle fed versus breastfed. Mm-hmm. I'm so sick of that argument. <laughs> my personal feeling my personal feeling is fed is best, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether you choose to breastfeed, whether you don't. Um, both of my children, my first daughter refused to latch. So I exclusively pumped for her. My son is now being breastfed, but it is hard. It is mm-hmm. so, so hard. And not enough Black women share that and actually say, like I'm saying to plenty of women listening, and I say in practice, it's okay if you don't breastfeed. You can have an oversupply, make as much milk as you want. If you don't want to breastfeed, you have that right, and it's okay. You're not a bad mom. You don't not care about your child's nutrition. It's fine. Yeah, so that brings up um, this whole thing, which you're talking about is what we hear called like the mommy wars, right? Um, So do you breastfeed or do you bottle feed? Do you send your child to public school or private school or do you homeschool? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you use cloth diapers or um, disposable (laughs) diapers? I mean, it can go on and on, right? And so where do you think... If you have a girl, is her hair natural or not? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. The the list could be in this. Where do you think that these like mommy wars come from and what do you think we can do to like change some of the culture around this well let me be frank I think it's about the dollar bill because let's not mistake anything the people who are making the cloth diapers the inserts the breastfeeding shirts this is a business so the more they can reinforce to the public you need to be doing this and in order to do this you need this product to do it successfully or stylishly or the most cool it brings in revenue Mm -hmm. and it's the same way with the formula companies so my my feeling is that it was really created and it keeps getting manifested by big companies, big pharma, um, big, a lot of big businessmen who see women and children as a target to make money off of. And a way to dismantle this is through self-love and enough women coming together and saying, 
hey, it's okay that we do these things differently. I don't have to breastfeed. I don't have to homeschool. Or guess what? I admire you for sending your children to school because guess what? I need a break. (laughs) So I'm not going to shame you for those choices. So I think it's about more women having conversations with each other and being accepting of the differences. There's so many ways to parent. And I think in today's climate of what's going on in the world, don't judge me because I use disposables. That's the last thing we need to fight about. Right, right. I mean, if we look at the list of everything going on in the world around us in terms of, you know, just kind of being being alive and trying to parent, like, is that really what you're going yes. to focus energy on, right? And I would say one more thing to combat that is education. Um, and I guess I keep kind of going back to it because I'm my son is seven months and I'm still in the breastfeeding world. But I see so many moms slamming other moms for not breastfeeding. A lot of trauma victims have a hard time breastfeeding. You know, before you say to a woman, aren't you breastfeeding? Why aren't you breastfeeding? Could that woman have been raped, molested, um, some sort of body mutilation? There's so many factors that go into a woman's decision to not do that. So I think they'd be educated and show some compassion because you never know what someone's going through. You know, a dear friend of mine went through chemo. She was able to breastfeed for a few weeks and that's it. But people don't see that when they look at her. Someone actually said that she was selfish for not breastfeeding and it was ridiculous. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, and like you mentioned, you know, you're already going through so many things, um, trying to balance yeah. like motherhood with a career if you're Absolutely. working outside of the home or, I mean, different kinds of things. So to kind of keep up all of this kind of mommy wars between one another really doesn't help and really only adds to like the alienation and like a support some moms feel. Absolutely. Yeah. excuse me so another hot topic that I have seen come up a lot is around um, emotional labor Um, and I'm sure that you've also seen some of these articles about um, just the division of labor with like a partnered home right so like a mom and dad two moms two dads um, and how like the emotional labor tends to end up more with mom Um, so what are your thoughts about like how you can balance out some of this emotional labor um like imbalance so to speak this is so heavy but i found what to be the most effective is when people um speak their needs and they speak them clearly and give the other partner actionable directions to take so when i say that i'll give you a prime example if you are at work working outside of the home and you come in and maybe the kids are fed but perhaps they haven't had bath time um you know everything is in the house is a little haphazard and they're running around and maybe your husband is playing a video game or relaxing so instead of wearing those emotions of sadness, loneliness, and frustration, I think at that moment it would be beneficial to everyone to stop and say, listen, identify the feelings first. When I come in and I see the house messy or the routine isn't as we discussed, it makes me feel isolated. It makes me feel like you don't care. And that's a great place to start because then it, it allows the partner to be less defensive. And you can really talk about what you guys' expectations are and who's going to do what. But women, we get so caught up and we get, you know, all these emotions inside and then they burst out because a lot of times we're not good at communicating exactly what we expect and giving the action. I find that a lot of partners need to be told exactly what you wish. And then they have the option to say, you know what, that's too much. That's not something I can do. So where can we meet in the middle? 
Yeah, and several of the guests on like previous podcast episodes have talked about this whole like leading with I statements and you know like being sure that you are actually articulating what you feel like you need as opposed to asking your partner to like read your mind. And I think another thing is too, I have absolutely been guilty of this. You know, I don't believe in the word balance. I think it's stupid. I hate when people say motherhood balance. No there's priorities. <laughs> there are just some things that are not going to get done. And you really have to talk, have a talk with yourself and say, okay, I'm expecting too much of myself. I'm placing too much of the emotional weight on my own shoulders. Let's really think about how much one person can handle during the day. So I would say prioritize and then begin to delegate. It doesn't have to be a mommy-centered world. It can be family-centered. Everyone in the house can have a job. And if you don't have family, because that is some people's situation, and if you have it, consider where you can get extra help at. You know, can you get your groceries delivered? Can you hire help? Who can be part of your village? Yeah, you mentioned something, Elise, um, this, the whole idea of like the weight of motherhood, right? And like we often, yeah. you know, everything is so mommy centric and something that yeah. has come up for me. And of course, I've read about and hear other women talk about is like this whole idea of mommy guilt. Um, so I know one yeah. time, you know, I, I forgot like that it was like a dress up day at school and my kid didn't have yeah. a costume. And I just like was wrecked about that for the whole day. And so, yeah. you know, can you talk more about like, mommy guilt and like how that comes up for us and what we may be able to do to try to manage some of that mom guilt is present all the time and that's because we're constantly bombarded with images and I feel now with social media of perfect moms <laughs> so the more we feed ourselves this imagery of everything is perfect everything is organized kids have coordinated outfits husband has a perfect job woman is at home everything works out perfectly no that's not reality so part of mommy guilt is making sure you do the reality check for yourself <laughs> because I think lots of times what we obsess about such as your child in that costume once he or she got to school I'm could probably guarantee within 30 minutes it was okay. <laughs> so oh, yeah, of course. Into, <laughs> you know, we have to put things into perspective because I've done it. Oh, my goodness. She was supposed to have, you know, Moana napkins, and I didn't get them. Um, so putting it into perspective, one, I think is a good way to help dismantle some of that. The second thing is recognizing all the things that you do do well. You know, when those feelings of guilt come up because you think you haven't mastered whatever task you were supposed to, take a step back, be mindful, and think about all the successes you had that day. Because you probably have had several that have just gone unnoticed. Did you get to pump a certain amount of milk? Did your child sleep through the night? Was your toddler willing to go to the bathroom? Did you get everybody out and into school on time? There's so many things to be grateful for. So I think once we shift our focus, it could really help tremendously with the mom go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you at least do a lot of work um, like in homes with moms, which I think is really cool, right? Especially when we're talking about yes. um, like immediately postpartum, you know, and mom may not yes. be able to get out and move or not have childcare for a newborn or doesn't want anybody, of course, with a newborn because of, you know, illness and yes. stuff like that. Um, so I know you do some in-home stuff. So can you talk to me a lot, um, talk to me about like the kinds of concerns that you're working on with some of your moms or just in general, what kinds of things do you typically sure. work with? Um, 
I have kind of through motherhood in motion a mommy concierge service. So postpartum women are able to contact me for their needs from everything to helping them organize and get ready for baby, assessing for a perinatal mood disorder, stress management, relationship issues, and even other health issues that may arise or come up directly after postpartum. So I work closely with doulas. So a lot of the issues that immediately come up are feelings of overwhelmness. At least yeah. I just want to stop you um, because a doula may not be something that everybody is familiar with. So can you explain what a doula oh, okay. is? Sure. Mm-hmm. A doula is a provider that is trained in the pregnancy, birth, and postpartum process. So it's basically like a mommy support. Um, doulas are not doctors. They're not psychologists. They're not social workers. They are women who have taken additional training. They may be breastfeeding um, peer support people. They may have additional training in making tinctures or um, a lot of them also work closely with midwives. So doulas are labor support. They go to hospitals, they're at birthing centers, and they attend home births as well. And their primary focus is to care for mom after the birth process. Perfect, perfect. (laughs) Sorry for not clarifying No, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But one of the first... The main feeling that always comes up is feeling overwhelmed. And I usually get that call about after a week. And I usually say that's usually when the high of giving birth kind of goes away. (laughs) And it's like, holy crap, life has changed. I see it particularly with my mothers who have more than one. So either the second or third, the feeling of being overwhelmed is exacerbated because they felt like I'm supposed to know how to do this. I already did it before. But this particular birth, this particular child is much different from the first and life is kind of thrown for a loop. So overwhelmed, um, definitely fatigued, learning how to balance life now with a new human being. And a lot of women complain about feeling irritable. And that brings me to the postpartum that sometimes postpartum depression for black women does not look sad. It looks mad. So helping to figure out where the emotions are coming from, if this is just baby blues or if this is a mood disorder. And lots of times I'm dealing with irritability. So what are some of the strategies that you're working with these moms? Like what kinds of strategies do you develop to help them to say maybe be less irritable or feel less overwhelmed by the whole process? Um, The first strategy is taking inventory of who can help. When a new baby is born, so many friends, family, all sorts of people come out and want to see the baby. So my role, and sometimes along with the doulas, is to say when people come over, okay, it's so great for you to see the baby. We are we appreciate it. We love it. But mom could really use help with this load of laundry because she's got another child or just because maybe she's had a C-section and she's unable to do it. So it's really involving the partner more and really kind of seeing who's in the village and who can help do what. Because a lot of my moms with irritability, it's centered not around the baby, but mostly to the partner because of household things that aren't being accomplished. (laughs) So attacking that first and kind of setting up point people that can really support the family during that critical time from birth to four to six weeks is crucial in lessening the irritability. The second part is making sure mom is getting enough sleep. And I'm sure all the moms might be rolling their eyes (laughs) because it seems like we can't ever get enough sleep. Because it just doesn't happen, but really trying to carve out that time. So really saying to the partner, and if you have older children in the home, like I do, I have two older stepchildren, it's really important that we're quiet for these two hours. It's really important that you can help occupy little so-and-so. And even the baby, you know, if you're not exclusively breastfeeding, you have lead way with your partner to say, I need you to take this feeding for two hours because my sleep is suffering. 
And the third thing is diet. Um, I'm not a nutritionist, so I'll put that disclaimer out there, but I would suggest that women can work with a doula or work with a nutritionist and really go by some guidelines, you know, don't consume a lot of sugar, Latin foods that are going to make you crash, increase your protein, increase your greens, get healthy juices, and get your friends and family to make things that you can put in the oven that, again, take the stress off of you. So that is a lot, it sounds like, around um, moms who, you know, maybe early early childhood, you know, like po- immediate postpartum. But what other yeah. kinds of concerns maybe come up for moms who have kids that are a little older? So not necessarily the postpartum tract, but, you know, with a little older kids, what kind of concerns are coming up around those issues? Um, monetary issues. You know, a lot of women, especially in this country, cannot afford childcare. And that's even if you have a middle school child or a high school child, money is a big thing. You know, I am a working outside the home mother. So having to leave, again, that mommy guilt of not being around, but also needing to bring home the dollar, particularly if you're a single black mother. (laughs) That's an issue all in itself. So I work with those women on self-esteem issues, forgiveness of themselves, and really, again, taking inventory of their lives and really prioritizing and saying, you know what? We feel so guilty because you're out of the home maybe 10 hours a day, but let's account for those 10 hours, making them see, okay, well, your child is in school for six and a half hours. This is mandatory. This is something you want. This is on purpose. This is a good thing. So for the rest of that time, where is the child? Those are the four. Oh, they're with grandma. They may be with a dad or a partner in an after school program or some enrichment activity. So it's basically extracting pieces of their life and showing them that they're on the right path. Having women not feel guilty for the choices that not they have to make, but sometimes they absolutely need to. We all can't stay home. We can't be around. We have to, you know, for a lack of better words, secure the bag. So <laughs> this is what you have to do. And I think a little um, more kind of reality testing and really just saying, this is the situation. So how do we make the best of it? And that's where self-care wraps around perfectly. <laughs> so carving out the time to take care of yourself. Yeah, Lisa, a lot of what you're talking about, it sounds like when you talk about the strategies is really helping people to kind of get perspective, right? Like kind of moving away the fog of all of this guilt and like all of the feelings that we place on motherhood or who our idea of a good mother is and really looking at it like, let's just put this on paper and look at the evidence. Correct. Got you. So you talked a little bit about like the self-care strategies. And of course, you know, I think a lot of moms have this issue of not feeling like they have time for themselves. So what other kinds of things would you do with moms to like help them carve out some time for self-care? Or even, you know, some moms will say like, I don't even know what to do to take care of myself. Like I'm just not used to having time. So what kinds of things would you do with them to try to like help cultivate a self-care routine? Well, the first thing I would do is say, what are things that you enjoy? And you wouldn't believe that so many women have a problem with that question because they've forgotten because they've gotten into this chronic busyness cycle. So I say, let's start with the basics. Before you had a family, before you became a mother, who were you? And generally, it's usually superficial things. I was thin, I was young, I was carefree. And then we get down to the meat and potatoes. What type of activities did you enjoy? And I've heard everything from exercising to reading books to braiding hair to making their own bath and body products in the kitchen to cooking. 
So then I said, well, how can we inject a little bit of this in your daily practice? When can you read? What time do your children go to bed? Are you willing to wake up an hour earlier so that you can get that alone time to read? If you cook, are you willing to say, okay, mom is in the kitchen. This is my time. Let me turn on my iPhone, play my music and cook for an hour and be alone. So it's really finding little pockets. I try to stay away from things that are going to cost women money, even if they are at a different socioeconomic status and may be able to afford it. But I really don't want to give the impression um, that you have to be at the spa or that you have to travel and be taking pictures on a plane for self-care. There are things you can do every day in your home alone to take care of yourself and nourish yourself. So what inspired you to create Motherhood in Motion in the first place, at least? Um, I had my first child in 2015, and I was treated so horribly in the hospital after I gave birth to her. Um, And after I talked to my friends who had never told me their stories, (laughs) um, I found that we all had a lot of commonalities with people either not screening us for any sort of postpartum issues or just assuming that we were fine and not even asking about me. You know, I felt very left out. It was all about the baby. And no one realized that my anxiety was so horrible that I couldn't even drive in a car for six weeks after I gave birth. Wow. And what do you, you've mentioned that a couple of times, at least like providers not being sensitive or just, you know, not really keying into what may be going on with mom. Do you have some ideas about like how moms or prospective moms can screen for those kinds of things? Like how would you know whether a provider is like somebody who's going to be sensitive to those issues? Well, I think it can be difficult during the pregnancy process because you're not thinking about your own mental health. Again, you're so baby focused and just trying to get your baby out safely and get through it alive. That that tends to be the focus. So I would like to see more um, birth education classes, educating parents and really talking to parents about how they can spot the signs of mom feeling overwhelmed. Because lots of times we are so busy and enamored with these little people that it's our partners who say, wow, she or has really changed. You know, she's not the same. She's sleeping so much. She's so irritable. She's so upset all the time. So I would really like to see um, more partners be involved in identifying what it looks like. Got you. And are there any like particular um, questions you could ask a provider to kind of get at whether they're going to be a good match for you? Absolutely. I think the first thing you can do is ask your provider if they are a specialist in postpartum mental health. (laughs) That's the first thing. And specialist doesn't mean that they necessarily have a degree in postpartum mental health because that doesn't exist. But whether they're an LCSW or an LPC or a PsyD, ask them if they've taken any courses, whether online or in person. Ask them if they've done any community education about postpartum mental health specifically working with Black women. I think another thing that people should never be afraid to ask is, how often do you work with Black women in this pregnancy practice? What are some of the unique challenges that you've seen Black women have during the birthing and postpartum process that I should look out for? Yeah, I mean, especially like you said, since, um, you know, the story around Serena has come out and been so public, I do think that that has really, you know, I mean, I know we all, you know, those of us who do this kind of work and are kind of invested in Black women's mental health have been aware of this, but I think her story really brought it to a national global level. Um, And so I, I wonder if even like doctors are having these conversations or has this made them aware of, you know, the fact that there has been some bias in in treatment of poor black moms. 
Um, I wonder too, and it was funny because where I received my pregnancy treatment, you know, she asked me, oh, are you, um, um, we do specialize in women of the Jewish faith because there are certain genetic factors that they should, you know, be aware of when conceiving and giving birth. And I just thought to myself, you know, so there's no specialization for black women. So we mm-hmm. have certain genetic factors and diseases mm-hmm. and predispositions to us. Um, and definitely our childbirth rates and the rate for C-section, but no one had ever said that to me. So I hope that Serena's story is really opening up those doors for providers. And more than anything, I hope that they're willing to listen. Right, right. That's the important part because people can talk as much as they want, but if they're not listening, then it doesn't really matter. Yes. So are there any new projects or things that you're working on that you want to tell us more about? Um, right now, it's just the mommy concierge service um, that's big, but I'm really getting back into community education. So I'll be presenting at some local WIC offices, and in New Jersey, that's women and children, and those offices are subsidized programs from the state, and they give out um, vouchers for food, formula. They do a lot of breastfeeding education, so I'll be speaking there. And I'm really seeking to get more community-based in my work and do things that are for free because I want everyone to have this knowledge and access this sort of education. I don't want this part of my work to be based on anything financial. It's important to me to share the news and commune with other Black women and see where it builds from there. Sounds really good. So where can we find you, Elise? Can you give us um, your website as well as any social media handles that you want to share? Absolutely. I'm on Instagram as motherhood in motion, one word. And I am also can be found on my website, www.motherhoodinmotion.com. And you can also email me at motherhoodinmotion at yahoo.com. If you ever need resources or just have a question, I always answer my emails and I love talking to everyone. Oh, you brought up something. I definitely would be in trouble if I didn't ask you about some of your favorite resources. People love like books and podcasts and stuff that they can check out. So do you have some favorites that you want to suggest? Yes. (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite podcasts is the one I'm on right now, (laughs) Therapy for Black Girls. Um, Another podcast that I love, and she's actually not a Black woman, but she really gives advice about self-love and the journey, is the Harshe podcast. It's H-A-R- S-H-E. Um, she's a mom of six, and she's a big birth advocate of birthing your way. Um, that's really kind of how I got into this work. I was introduced to her podcast and her work first and said, wait a minute, <laughs> Black women need something. Um, and as far as books go, Lathan Thomas's book, um, Own Your Glow. And I can't think of anything right now, <laughs> but those are the ones that stick out in my mind. Okay. And we will, of course, have all this information in the show notes for people to find it and be able to access, you know, you by email if they have other questions specific about this. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us today, Elise. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dr. Joy. Much blessing and success to you and your company. And I appreciate the work that you continue to do for us. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about all of the important work Elise is doing in this space and thankful she was able to join us for this conversation. You can find the info about the books and podcasts she mentioned, as well as information about her practice in the show notes, which can be found at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 43. If you're a mom listening to this episode, then we'd love to hear how you're taking care of your mental health. Share your thoughts and tips with us on social media and make sure to use the hashtag 
TBG in session. If you are looking for a therapist in your area, then make sure that you're looking through our therapist directory. You can find that at therapyforblackgirls.com directory. And if you want to join us over in the Thrive Tribe, where we continue the conversations that we have on the podcast and talk about all kinds of other things, head on over to therapyforblackgirls.com tribe and join us. To keep up with important updates and mental health information, make sure that you're following us across all social media channels. If you're following us on Facebook and Instagram, then you know that I started a new live chat with me last week called Three for Thursdays. Every Thursday at noon, Eastern Standard Time, I'll be live on both Facebook and Instagram to discuss three pieces of information to help you get your life together. Last week, we discussed three ways to take care of yourself after a breakup. If you want to catch that video, it's still up on Facebook, but make sure that you're following us so that you don't miss the future chats. You can find us on Twitter at therapy for the number four B girls. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at therapy for black girls. Please make sure to continue to share the podcast with your online and real life friends so that we can keep on growing our community. You can do that by texting them, tweeting them, or sharing your information about the podcast in your Insta stories. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Thank you.